Hello, everyone. Due to some technical issues and going a bit long, this podcast has been split into two parts. First part will be the book for the week, next, and the second part will be the movie. Thanks for listening. And welcome to Try It, You'll Like It, the podcast where we get together, choose a theme, and we talk about a movie and a book centered around that theme. Tonight's theme is May-December Romances, chosen by Amy. And before we get to that, uh, we'd like to talk about maybe something we've been enjoying. No, we probably won't. Amy hates this segment. (laughs) Right, Amy? We can do it. Okay. Actually, I I just kind of want to talk about something I I was enjoying. Oh, it's all about you, Joe. I hear. Said the person who wanted to pick the theme, the book, and the movie for an upcoming podcast. (laughs) I said we could all do it. Anyway, edit point. No, leave that in. (laughs) That was good shit, man. By the way, folks, we're all recording on a Friday night, so it might be a little bit loopy here. Anyway, I just wanted to recommend to everybody, uh, if it's playing anywhere around you, go see Nebraska. Uh, Why? It's about Nebraska, and it's in black and white. Election is about Nebraska. About Schmidt is about Nebraska. Well, they're not really about Nebraska. Citizen Ruth is about Nebraska, and it's about Nebraska. Tracy Flick could be anywhere, man. I went to high school with Tracy Flick in East Tennessee. She was my best friend. Tracy Flick. Uh, I didn't. Oh right. (laughs) Actually, when I saw Election, I called it my best friend from high school, and I said, "Oh my God, you're just like this girl, except you're not evil." (laughs) I mean, they even had the same hair. But anyway, folks, check out Nebraska. Will Forte is. I guess I'm not going to say surprisingly good because that feels a little bit insulting to say that about a guy's performance, but he's quite good. Um, and you watch it and you think him, Bob Odenkirk and Bruce, uh, sorry, Bruce Stern. Oh yeah. Father and sons. No question. Totally buy it. And Bob Odenkirk, nice dramatic thing. And, uh, it really, really makes a joke from breaking bad all the funnier because I'm watching this going, Vince Gilligan knew about this while he was doing the final <laughs> season of Breaking Bad and put that in there just as a joke, didn't he? It wouldn't surprise me. No, Randy knows exactly what I'm talking yeah. about there. I'm trying not to spoil anything for folks who are waiting for the DVDs on uh, the final season of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. But it's really worth checking out. Uh, the, the the black and white, okay, maybe it's a conceit, whatever. It's, it's, it's still a very, very good movie. I haven't seen it yet, but it's definitely on my must-see list because it's directed by Alexander Payne, who is one of my favorite uh, current filmmakers. Sideways, The Descendants, uh, Election, Citizen Ruth, those are all great movies. Oh, my God, The Descendants. Oh, Amy. I I didn't really like Descendants that much. I came out of it, and I was just like, well, that happened. You know, okay, I will say this, though. You know who's really good in Descendants? Sh- Matthew Lillard. And Shailene Woodley. They're both really good. 
Yes, yes. But, but Matthew Lillard is is freaking really good in that. Should have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Um. So, have I liked anything lately? Let me think. No. Okay. Under Randy. Randy. Well, even though it's it's been, gosh, over a month now, uh, I don't think I ever really raved in this particular form about how much I adored Gravity. Oh, that's uh, on my list to see. It it just left my local theater. I might make the effort to go see it on Sunday. It, I am not going to see it. It is the stuff of my nightmares. I mean, it's the stuff of my nightmares as well. I was going to say have, it looks a, wonderful, but. I mean, I would have to take the cat Xanax dose if I was going to go see that. Are you the kind of person that would get troubled by it being in 3D as well, Amy? Oh, God. (laughs) That'd probably make it even worse, wouldn't it? It'd be like even more, oh, my God, you'd really feel like you were floating out in space, wouldn't you? (gasps) No, can't do it. (laughs) It gives me a little bit of flashbacks, even in the trailers, to um, uh, maybe, Randy, you don't know this. I actually went to space camp back in the 80s. Oh, cool. And at one point, they put you in this spinning wheel thing. It's like three interlocking wheels, and you have to try and bring it under control after you put it into a random pattern with joysticks, basically. Oh, cool. You're basically trying to reorient yourself. It's almost impossible. I did okay on it, but it's really disorienting because you're basically in a harness that, for what it does, it kind of simulates that you're in a zero-G environment. Wow. It, it's really disorienting because you're spinning around and there are these three wheels around you mm-hmm. and it's really fucking weird. <laughs> it's fixable, but it takes a, quite a bit amount of time. At the end of the thing, you're sweating. Huh. So anyway, here's my question for you um, about gravity. Mm-hmm. Is it really an acting movie? Yes. Okay. I would it's think it would enough. have to be. I mean, because... It, I mean... Okay, I'm going to compare it to another movie, perhaps unfairly, um, simply because I haven't seen Gravity, but I imagine it's something like Moon, um, the wonderful Duncan oh, Jones film from a few years ago yeah. that starred Sam Rockwell, where if you don't buy Sam Rockwell in that role... In, I mean, because the movie is so about him... Yes. I mean, he is just about all you have to look at on screen. I mean, even though you know, even though Gravity is doing all this wonderful, you know, special effects and things like that, you still have to believe Bullock. It is slightly different because Bullock does spend the majority of the movie in a spacesuit. And right, that's, that's but the then point that's that, even um, harder, right? Because you're just looking at her face. Yeah. I mean, she has to yeah. do almost all of her acting with just her face. Yeah. Which leads me to another question, Randy. Her spacesuit, does it have weird lights that shine on her face the entire time? Uh, I believe it does, yes. Uh, all right. I'm willing to go along with the conceit for the movie, but it bugs me in a lot of movies. <laughs> Prometheus, primarily. I, it's not as egregious as it was there. Um, okay. It didn't feel distracting, but of course I spent... The first time I saw Gravity, I spent, like, its entire runtime, like, totally clenched up. Like, every part of me was just, <laughs> like, so freaked out by it. it. It's a fantastic movie, and it's a fantastically made movie. And 
I think people are just starting to really unravel and talk about exactly what Alfonso Coron has really achieved here with how he actually made gravity. And, and see, that's the part where I should be, you know, really enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. It's it's Alfonso Coron for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah. And I mean, there's some shots in this movie that are like 10, 12, 14 minutes long, and it's just incredible. And the the fascinating thing about that is that he saves the most difficult filmmaking for the most difficult scenes that it would be to film, Mm -hmm. like the, the complex choreography of Bullock trying to get out of the International Space Station to free a parachute from the, the capsule and stuff like that. And it just goes on in these incredibly long takes rather, rather than, you know, all the the bullshit editing that most other filmmakers would try to do. Right. Amy, have you ever seen Children of Men? Yes, I love it. Okay. Then what Randy was just talking about there reminds me of that sequence in Children of Men uh, I, I feel like I'm still a little bit in the shadow of uh, spoiler space in here, so I'll talk around it a little bit uh, with the ping pong ball on the t- and the attack on the road. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is a long, tense sequence, really. Yeah. God, he's a good filmmaker. Yep. And if you haven't seen, well, you should see all of his movies, but uh, <laughs> A Little Princess... Oh God! If, yes, if you yes, want to cry yes. for like two hours, go watch A Little Princess. <laughs> my my, my friend Bruce has wow. recommended that many times to me, and I've never watched it. Anything else anyone wants to talk about? Two <laughs> weeks until Carrie Underwood and The Sound of Music. Come on, we've got to get excited uh, about that. Nope. <laughs> Every time I see that Swiss Misk uniform, I just laugh. <laughs> Nothing for me yet has still topped the poster with her dead, dead eyes. <laughs> Did you guys see the previous t- previously .tv thing on that? Not yet. It's I haven't oh, gotten to oh, it. Oh, oh, it, it went up yesterday. The who is trying to do damage control the most <laughs> in the trailer? <laughs> the Audrey McDonald section is fantastic. I still haven't seen the whole trailer for it. It's. Uh, Apparently NBC blocked it from people in Canada, so thanks, NBC, I guess. Audrey McDonald is backing her on favorite things in the trailer. Yep. There was an audio clip of that song released, and uh, yeah, you you hear Audra trying to... um, Sweeten the deal? Not out-sing Carrie. (laughs) Oh, God. I just can't wait to hear Audra sing Climb Every Mountain. I think that's just going to be spectacular. So, <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> On to the book. Now, we did uh, May-December relationships this time around. And, Amy, why don't you give us the rather interesting rules for this? Well, I was basically just trying to avoid cliche and ick factor. Um, in that I asked for nothing... Um, Made in, in cliche, there were kind of two parts to that. One was I didn't want to see an older man, younger woman relationship. And I also didn't want to see a student teacher because it seems like a lot of times, I mean, even though this technically would qualify as a May December romance, that's not really what I think of as a May December romance because I think, honestly, a student teacher thing lacks the romance, right? 
Um, and I also that's more of a that's more of a power thing, right? I mean, they may think it's romance, but to us outsiders, it doesn't really have that feel. But then, um, I uh, I, I also said nothing. I didn't want. Let's keep May. I don't want January through April, so nothing involving minors <laughs> or anything like that. So right, no pedophilia or pederasty. That was my. Uh, that was my. Uh, that was my requirements because because I wanted us to, uh, like I said, avoid cliche and the ick factor. Yes. So Randy, tell us about what we read. Yeah, and so the book that I ended up picking for this, I was really quite pleased with actually finding um, because I looked in a lot of different corners of the internet to try to find uh, an interesting book by potentially an interesting author that would fit this uh, this category. And so we read uh, Patricia Highsmith's The Price of Salt, which was, I believe, originally published under the title Carol. And under a pseudonym, uh, Claire Morgan, um, back in 1952. And it is about the relationship between a young department store clerk named Therese Balavet and a slightly older middle... Is that how you middle... say it? Therese? That's how I... Yeah, there was a section in the book that... I would say Therese myself. Yeah, I was saying Therese. There is that section where she where she talks about how it is said, but I kind of like really. Well, <laughs> and I couldn't tell the difference between Carol with an E and Carol without an E. Yeah, that that did kind of throw me at Carol and Carol. Right. I don't know, but I've never. Anyway, heard sorry, Carol. sorry anyway. for the interruption. I just well, it goes into that whole Northeast uh, Mary, 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 where they claim that there's a different uh, <laughs> pronunciation. Well, I'm going to, even though you can say Therese, I'm going to say Therese because that's how I was thinking of it in my head and I won't be able to correct myself. Okay. Therese it is for me as well. So Therese, the department store clerk. It's about, the book is about the relationship between Therese Balavet, a department store clerk, and Carol Aird, a middle-aged woman going through a divorce. And they sort of meet cute um, in the department store one day before Christmas. And the, the, the book is told from Teresa's perspective. And so we sense that there's something unique about how Teresa responds to Carol and like that there's something kind of instantaneously attracting her to Carol. And she, of course, initially doesn't know what that is or even how to articulate it. And so the book then follows the development of their friendship, which then turns into a romance, which then turns into a cross-country road trip with certain film noir, pulpy sort of elements to it. And that's basic outline of the plot. And what did you guys think? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I think you left out something that that was a part of the book that I really enjoyed, which was um, when we first meet Therese, she has a boyfriend named Richard. And she's kind of hanging on to him, even though I think she knows in her heart that she doesn't really like him as much as he professes to like her. Um, Actually, Amy, if I may, I would flip that. He's hanging on to her more than she's hanging on to him. Well, I mean, but sort of. I mean, she could have stopped, she could have made an effort to stop it long before 
But then when you're right, when she True. does try to make an effort to stop it, he doesn't get the hint. Yeah. So, but I, I found a lot of interesting things. I mean, aside from her falling in love with Carol and, and you know, so therefore the qualifying it for the May, December romance theme. Um, Technically, I guess it's kind of May, August rather than December. But uh, the, the, the relationship with her and Richard and how it ended up playing out, um, I found to be a really interesting part of the book. So I, I, I liked it overall. Um, this is the first High Smith I've ever read. So uh, I was, I mean, I've seen, of course, I, I really like the movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley, which I know has some quibbles from the original source material. But, you know, I kind of got a sense of, OK, this is what Highsmith is all about. This is how she writes. This is her, her gimmick. And I really like the way she writes. So if, if her other stuff is written like this, I think I'm going to have to read more of it. In the afterword in uh the ebook edition, which I'm sure is probably in the same edition that you guys had read, um, that she wrote an afterword for a release back in, I think, the late 80s. Uh, yes, I had that, I and had. it was funny because it was signed by Claire Morgan. <laughs> or at least mine was. It was signed by Claire Morgan, 1983. So wait, did all of yours have the uh, have the plot spoiler in the back as well? Well, mine was... What do you mean by plot spoiler? The one that talks about the, uh, the the blackmailing PI. Yes. God damn it! <laughs> I am so pissed off at whoever wrote that. Freaking fracking. No, this one doesn't uh. have it. I mean, because it's a paperback that then has a Buckram Library binding on top of it, and uh, it says okay. it doesn't say anything about that. Although I will say it was actually a really bad edition. Sorry, little independent women's press in Florida, because um, it ha it was riddled with typos, and it had bad typesetting. Like all of a sudden, a paragraph would just be in a completely different typeset. Wait, did you have a Nyad Press copy? Yes. Wow. Wow. Why? Well, they're the re-release, re and they've gone. That's completely way out of print. They went defunct a long time ago. I work in a library. We have stuff. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, memory prints from the. Uh, How did you late know 80s? the Nyad Press? Wiki. Oh, I was about to say, are you like totally up on your Floridian feminist publishing houses? <laughs> Anywho. So there we are, Randy. Randy what was your uh, what was your knowledge of Highsmith before reading this novel originally? I, was it just uh, Mr. Ripley? I had read Talented Mr. Ripley a number of years ago. Don't remember a lot about it. I, I remember feeling underwhelmed by it, um, but I think if I reread it, I would get something completely different out Excuse of it. Excuse me, my doorbell is ringing. That is not oh, a right. euphemism. I must go look at this. <laughs> Pardon I've heard me. your doorbell. I'm coming. Now, Randy, uh, Randy, you read the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes, I just think? just the first Ripley book, and of course, I've seen okay. Strangers on a Train, which was adapted uh, from another Highsmith novel. Right, um, but I have never read any Highsmith before this. But I've seen three Highsmith movies: uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, the Dennis Hopper one, which is, I think, My American Friend. 
are the American Friend, something like that, and uh, the Melkovich Ripley movie. Ripley's which, Game? Uh, Was that Ripley's yes. Game? Yes, yes. Uh, so it's interesting to me reading this novel how all three movies in their own way, except for maybe The American Friend, capture this interestingly detached feel that Highsmith has in her writing. That we're getting this, uh, uh, I'm very bad, guys, you're going to have to help me here on what level of writing this book is in. Second person? Amy? What do you mean? This book? Third person. Yes. This book here is third person, not omniscient. Okay. Because we never know what's going on with any of the characters except for what Therese knows about it. Yeah, but I like how there is this dis- detached feel to the novel where you're not quite sure what a lot of the people are thinking. And sometimes I'm not entirely sure what the main character is thinking, which is kind of appropriate because she is working her way through a lot of these feelings. Exactly, yeah. What I liked is something else that got left out was that she's, a, she's a, an aspiring set designer, Mm-hmm. Um, the department store gig is just a temporary holiday Christmas job while she's in the city hoping to, you know, get a break as a set designer. And so I like that, that she has these bigger dreams, but she's not above, you know, actually doing some work to survive. <laughs> um, you know, she's in, I, I wouldn't say she's a dilettante in any way. And I like that about her. Um, no, she really, she really is not at all. And I think in some ways, to get to the idea of the May-December, it's not just their age that separates these two characters. I mean, they're very different in a lot of ways. I mean, you get at least I got the sense that Carol came from a privileged background, you know, married a man who either was wealthy or became wealthy and, you know, was a homemaker with a child. And, you know, I just – she for some reason I kept picturing her as like – young Martha Stewart when Martha Stewart was kind of hot looking. Oh, wow. Google up a picture of Martha Stewart from her younger <laughs> back days. In her, back in her modeling days, yes. Exactly, that's what I mean. Well, no, I, I, I can totally picture that. I mean, like, well, she's talking about walking out into the garden with her moccasins on, and I'm like, dude, that's Martha. Yeah. Well, in the upcoming movie adaptation, she's being played by Kate Blanchett. Mm. Which mm-hmm. is, as far I as I'm concerned, that. absolutely perfect casting. Who's playing? However, who's playing Chris? Rooney Mara. I'm annoyed that Rooney Mara replaced. Um, oh fuck, I lost. Mia Wasikowska. Yes, Wasikowska. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Why are they picking I, two people who just like basically don't show emotion to play Therese? Well, I yeah, I was kind of thinking for Therese. I, I kept picturing Lizzie Kaplan while I was reading the book. Oh, I could see that, especially because she keeps getting haircuts, and it <laughs> seems like none of them actually end up suiting her. <laughs> is it wrong that my favorite Lizzie Kaplan moment is the uh, a time she punches someone on New Girl? I don't remember that. Uh, given that she was great throughout Party Down, yes. I've never seen Party Down. Put it on the list; it's really good. Look, I just Look, got, I first discovered. I'm, I, I just started watching The State last night. <laughs> I first discovered Lizzie Kaplan watching this dramedy on like the CW or WB or UPN or something like that called Related. 
and she played one of four sisters. And oddly enough, her, one of her sisters was um, Jennifer Esposito. Because sure, they look alike. <laughs> well, different yeah, father and they're both, mother. They're both humanoid women. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't remember related at all. I liked it. It was good. Anyway, so... Um, the, uh, the, the, the I, I liked that, that you have these two very different characters. So it's not just about, you know, the May-December thing. You're getting a lot of different things coming into play. Yeah. You know, city versus suburbs, um, a, a mother and a not, uh, you know, somebody who is a mother, somebody who isn't a mother. Um, somebody who's employed versus somebody who isn't employed. Yeah, except- I think that comes into it as well. Yeah, and but then also the fact that like um you know the one who isn't employed has way more money than the one that is. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's living on hubby's dime. I So uh I don't know. I just I, I liked all of those contradictions and things. Uh and I mean I wouldn't I would by no means call it an opposites attract novel. Um, but I think it did one of the best things that a May-December romance can do, which is um, make it not just about the age difference exactly, but about the, the, the difference in stations in life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and because not to get too personal, but um, when I met the man who became my husband – there was like six and a half years difference, which doesn't seem like a big deal until I tell you that those six and a half years were 20 and 26. And that's a big difference where you are when you're 20 and when you're 26. However, when I was 20, I was working a full-time job, living in an apartment by myself. So was he actually, he had the roommate, you know? And so it's like, I wasn't, I wasn't in college. You know, I had the nine to five job. I felt much older in that respect. And so the difference between 20 and 26 didn't seem that big. Mm-hmm. And so I think this did a good job of not just making the difference about years, but also about life experience. So I like that. Um, to get to some particulars, and I'm, I'm betting Randy picked up on this. I don't know if Joe did or not. How many times did Richard's hands get described as moist? <laughs> oh gosh, at least fifteen. I mean, I, you knew. I mean, I was like totally against Richard from the start because I'm like, he has moist hands. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I thought. I bet Randy somewhere is is like gleefully underlining every time <laughs> she's using the word moist. Um, the thing I found interesting about Richard. Is that in the okay? Let me ask you guys: How long do you think if Therese hadn't met Carol, how long? How do you see her and Richard's relationship playing out if she doesn't meet Carol? If I may, Randy, because I'm the one uh, as the heterosexual male here. I see that depending on how Therese plays it out, lasting about another six months, really. Because 
he thinks that he wants to marry her. I honestly don't know in the context of the novel if he wants to marry her or not. See, I think that had Carol not come along, you're absolutely right. I mean, Teresa makes that point to him at one point in the in the book that, you know, you're going to grow tired of me just like you've grown tired of this aspiration and this aspiration and this mm-hmm. aspiration. Yes. And so I think he is in, in some ways that guy that wants the girl more as soon as he's told he can't have her. Right. And I'm, and I'm willing to bet, uh, towards the end of the book, this is really not that important to the, uh, to the story of the novel. When she gets back in contact with him and he's working for her father, he's a month he's away working from, for his father, for, for his father. Yes. Yeah. He's a month away from meeting the girl that he's going to marry at some point, because that's what's expected from him in 1948, New York. Well, and it's going to be some nice Russian girl. Yes. Yeah. And I, I guess. By the way, I do like the scenes with the where she visits his family. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun because it's like, yes, I've known these families. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought that the book did a really good job of. I mean, if you read the afterword, it talks about how a lot of the books that were coming out with you know gay protagonists or gay themes in this time period, um had a had some morality to it yeah you know it was like basically even if it wasn't explicit it was akin to the um you know the rules about the virgin lasting longest in the horror film you know something like that uh, where amy if amy if i may yes it's the equivalent in gay literature in the 40s and Randy can probably tell me when this uh, when this stopped. It feels like the equivalent for comic books and graphic novels of what's been called the woman in the refrigerator syndrome. Never heard of it. <laughs> woman in the refrigerator syndrome is this horrible cliche that is an offshoot of earlier things like Batman, his parents die, Superman, his parents die, Spider-Man, his uncle dies except they transferred it over to women in the in the lives of the protagonists. The worst example being uh, a Green Lantern in the 90s, Carl Rayner, his, he comes home and finds his girlfriend stuffed inside a refrigerator. Uh, it's a horrible thing, and it's a horrible thing. I hate when that happens. Because <sighs> you know they took something out to fit her in, and now that something is spoiled, and you have a dead girlfriend. <laughs> Nobody wins. Nobody, Nobody wins. wins. But it's a very good point that <laughs> it's a very bad cliche in its lazy writing. Um. So, anyway, what I like about about this book is that you know even at the point where Carol um is you know her you know her husband is really making a press against her for the um you know, for custody of their child and, and, you know, is using, uh, you know, her admission of a relationship with another woman before Therese and then, uh, evidence of her relationship with Therese against her. Um, it still isn't preachy one way or the other. I didn't feel like, 
in the sense that it it's certainly not condoning the way her husband is behaving and condemning Carol. But I also didn't feel like, I mean, it didn't feel that preachy in the other direction of how dare they do this? I have a right to love who I want to love. I mean, even Carol herself was very sort of understanding about like, well, this is what they expect of me. And, um, which, well, I think it would have probably been preachier had it been written a decade or two later. Oh, um, absolutely. Pre- preachier in the, I have a right to love whoever I want way. Um, because I mean, well, written in like 19, published in 1952, that's like 17 years before Stonewall, which was really like the birth of modern gay rights movement. So it, it as a reaction to, like, as Highsmith writes in the the afterward, to the the standard punishment of gay and lesbian protagonists in fiction and in movies, um, yes, it's a lot subtler that way. And I love the way it ends, where it's things are still up in the air, but it's hopeful. I, I th- yes, like the last paragraph just like wrecked me. I just I loved the way that both the way that she wrote the ending and where the ending left the characters. Yes. Sorry, Amy, if I was unclear what I was talking about with the woman in the refrigerator thing, uh, I I meant in terms of the ending and how it's not this horrible, you find out you're lesbian, you're going to fall into a train or something. Right. Well, which is in a a lot of the literature of the time. And I mean, I like, so here, here's Carol in, a, in the letter that she writes to Therese kind of explaining what's been going on with the court case and everything. And um, it says something, but the most important point I did not mention and was not thought of by anyone, that the rapport between two men or two women can be absolute and perfect as it can never be between man and woman. And perhaps some people want just this, as others want the more shifting and uncertain thing that happens between men and women. It was said or at least implied yesterday that my present course would bring me to the depths of human vice and degeneration. And and it is uh, if it and it is true if I were to go on like this and be spied upon, attacked, never possessing one person long enough so that knowledge of a person is a super so that so that knowledge of a person is a superficial thing, that is degeneration. Or to live against one's grain, that is degeneration by definition. That's as preachy as the book ever gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is very subtle and it's very gracious. I mean, when, you know, when she says the bit about, you know, the, the some people want this as others want the more shifting and uncertain thing that happens between men and women. I mean, I think that's gracious of the character and gracious of Highsmith. And I think it's really interesting in the novel. And I think that comes out in the excerpt you just read of Carol at a lot of times in the novel is a very unsympathetic character. Yeah. And you're kind of wondering, what does Therese see in her? Yeah. But I I mean, she's not a bad person, especially, but she can be abrupt. She doesn't tell Carol what she wants a lot of the time. (laughs) She's cold and distant, which makes Kate Blanchett the perfect actress to play her in a movie. (laughs) And brings you back to Martha Stewart. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I still can't think of Martha Stewart without thinking of, well, one, Anna Gasteyer on SNL, but two, what 
South Park has done with Martha Stewart a couple of times, but we'll just yeah. leave it there. <laughs> but I still think Mia Wasikowska is the better uh, choice for that role, playing Therese. Perhaps, yeah. I, I think I think she and Rooney are both good choices. Yes, I mean, Kate Rooney, I've never seen her act in anything at the level of Wiakowska. Granted, I'm the only person in this room who uh, who saw uh, Stoker this year. I nope. saw it, and I didn't like it. it. We all saw Stoker? We all saw Stoker. We oh, argued right, about it on Twitter. <laughs> oh, all right. Check oh, your archives, right. Joe. That's right. You're all wrong. Uh, um, I really uh, like... Uh, 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 we are not going down that rabbit path. <laughs> um, I'm just saying that my opinion is closer to Joe's than it is to Amy's. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Stoker okay. is still my number three of the year. So I want to go back to something early um, in the book. It's, I think, if, if it's not the first time she and Carol spend time together outside the department store, it's, it's near it. And um, she's talking about falling in love uh Therese and carol they're talking about falling in love and uh she says some she says you pro- about having kids she says, so do you you want to fall in love you probably will soon and if you do enjoy it it's harder later on and Therese says to love someone and carol says to fall in love or even to have the desire to make love i think sex flows more sluggishly in all of us than we care to believe especially men care to believe the first adventures are usually nothing but a satisfying of curiosity, and after that, one keeps repeating the same actions, trying to find what? What, Teresa asked. Is there a word, a friend, a companion, or maybe just a sharer? What good are words? I mean, I think people often try to find through sex things that are much easier to find in other ways. What Carol said about curiosity she knew was true. What other ways, Teresa asked. Carol gave her a glance. I think that's for each person to find out. And... I think right there, in some ways, that's a little micro, a little description of Teresa's journey throughout the whole book. Um, in in terms of she's in in her relationship with Carol, trying to find something. I mean, beyond just being in love with Carol. I think she has found something that she didn't find with Richard and thinks, okay, this means I'm starting, you know, now life is starting for me. Um, But then when she and Carol are separated for quite a long time after their road trip, uh, she goes through a metamorphosis of sorts. And, you know, when she and Carol meet back up again, you know, Carol even, you know, she's got a different haircut. She looks different. And she says, you even, you even sound different. And so I really like like going back and looking and realizing that right there, early in the book, early in their conversation, Highsmith was setting up the transformation of Therese. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I really, I really like that. I think that's a good point. I think part of it is Highsmith, having often written mystery or suspense type novels, she's practiced in that, right, of mm-hmm. planting a seed early in the book that pays off later. Um, and where the reader kind of goes, aha. Uh, so I think it was interesting because I kind of expect, I, in a way, I sort of kept expecting this to take kind of a thriller suspense turn, <laughs> you know, just given her reputation, the author's reputation. And it didn't. And But then I was thinking about it more and more, and I'm like, but you know what? She used the tools of the suspense writing trade 
to make this young woman's kind of coming of age to take this May-December romance story and to combine them into what became a very compelling story in a way that those kind of stories often aren't. Yeah, because, I mean, like you say, this book is primarily about Teresa's coming of age. And coupled with that, it's the story of her coming out. It, it's not, of course, in those terms, because it's at least a generation too soon to be yeah. discussed in those terms. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> near the end of the book, um, she says something, uh, Carol says something like that, Therese, like, you've come out or something like that. And, and Therese flinches at it because she's like, to her, that reminds her of, of, of being born. Like that's how she <laughs> takes the comment of coming out. And I was like, Oh, here we go. Um, Carol's phrase come out had made her think of being born and it embarrassed her. <laughs> I was like, oh. So, yeah, it definitely was not the vernacular <laughs> that it is now. Writing the book. There's a comment in Highsmith's afterward about how you would get off of a subway at a stop before or after the bar you wanted to go to. That's how much you wanted to disguise being out, for yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah, so, and I also thought the uh, the process of coming out speaking as the only one of the three of us who has really kind of gone through that process. Um, I really related strongly to uh, Teresa's relationship with Richard in that context as well, where, you know, you're behaving in a way that is expected of a young person where you meet someone, mm -hmm. someone of the opposite sex and you fall in love. And I mean, even just the, the brief descriptions of, how little enjoyment Therese got out of actually having sex with Richard, like just kind of knowing, but not being able to articulate like that, that wasn't right for her mm -hmm. and just how also knowing, but not being able to articulate how the blossoming relationship with Carol was right for her. I just like looking, looking at, at that, 60 years later, um, Highsmith did a hell of a job actually like just writing that and kind of making it a, a universal story, even though the concept of a gay universal story at this point in a positive context was almost you know, before we wind down on this novel, I kind of want to ask, what are your guys' thoughts on Abby? Well, I mean, in what way? Do you regard her as, I mean, obviously she had a, it's explicitly said in the novel that she had a, for lack of a better term, homosexual relationship with Carol at some point. Is she as innocuous as Therese seems to think that she is? I don't think Therese thinks she's innocuous. Um, I think Carol wants Therese to think that. But I, I, I would be very nervous about Abby if I were Therese. <laughs> because they're the same age. Because they're coming from the same social station. Because they've known each other. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold up. Abby is 
Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying that Abby was the same age as Therese. No, no. Abby's the same age as Carol, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all of that, that the, all of that going on is, uh, I would be very nervous if I, and especially the way that Abby takes great delight in inserting herself into their relationship. Oh, yes. Even when Carol has not asked her to. Um, yeah. Abby seems like a threat. But it is interesting to me, and I love books and novels set in post-World War II New York City. So this book is right up my alley in a lot of ways. That almost every time we see Abby, it's her encountering Therese in Manhattan almost... A couple of times out in the suburbs, but it's mostly in Manhattan, which I find kind of interesting somehow. Like Abby is the more mature version of Therese. Hmm. Huh. I don't know about that. I think in some ways, Abby, for me, I think Abby would kind of feel like Therese is the upstart. Because, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Well, yes, yes. But not just because of her age, but I think because, you know, it's pretty clear that Abby knew which way her wind blew early on in life. I mean, even if she didn't have a word for it or a name for it, I don't think she ever had a doubt that that's where her desires were. Sure. And now here comes Therese just swanning in, not even acknowledging that about herself and, and winning Carol's affections. Hmm. So. Randy, you got any thoughts on Abby? Uh, I kind of saw Abby just as, um, not really a, th- I actually didn't really see her as a threat ultimately to, uh, Teresa's relationship with Carol, that it was almost, it, she was there just as kind of Carol's first fling. Like that, it helped actually. It actually just helped Carol understand this about herself. I think we've talked this novel out, yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. So, are we recommending the novel, Randy? I am absolutely recommending this novel. I loved it. Yes, very much so. Excellent. On to the movie. 